Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you. Did you hear that? It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. It is clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peering, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God. I refuse to do that. To repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule keeping. Then Christ died unnecessarily. I'm going to read that one more time. If a living relationship with God. Could come by rule keeping. Then Christ died unnecessarily. You crazy Galatians. I don't know if he called him that, but this is a message translation. I would have called him that. You crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. So basically he's saying this, it's Jesus plus nothing else. It's just Jesus. You know, people believe that before they get saved. All you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. Then you get saved and, well, it's Jesus plus and what you fill in the blank. It's not. It's still Jesus after you get saved. It's Jesus before you get saved. It's Jesus. Jesus in the, I won't sing that, but anyway. Today, I want to talk to you about something greater. That's not my message in Galatians 2.20, but I could preach that. Something greater. This has been on my heart this week. Uh, I, I know all of us hopefully know that we are new creatures in Christ. We don't have to become anything greater spiritually as far as who you are in Christ. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, where does it dwell? Inside of you and me. He that is joined to the Lord is... One spirit. So we are one with Christ. So you can't get anything greater than Jesus, can you? No. But having said that, what do you do actually on this planet? What, what do you actually do? What has God called you to do? Or what is a desire in you to do something on this planet? A friend of mine, Billy Epperhart, he, um, he asked this question. He said, what do you need to become, Mike, to finish your race, to get to your destiny that God wants for your life? What do you need to become? You know, he, uh, he read over 300 books on finance and real estate. 300 books just on that subject, finance and real estate. And uh, he became a real estate entrepreneur he's a multi-millionaire but he learned finance so much to the degree that he is the CEO of Andrew Walmack Ministries he does 
all of their business. He runs that organization. It's a $200 million a year organization. Do you think you need to know something about money when you got $200 million coming in a year? Yeah. So for him to get to that place, he had to become something to get to that place. Does that make sense? You know, Spencer's a doctor. He can't just say, you know what, I'm in Christ, so I don't need to go to school. I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody working on me who says that. So you don't have any degrees? No, but I got Jesus. <laughs> yeah. You got somebody else to work on because you ain't working on me. You know what I mean? You want somebody who's educated and knowledgeable of the field that they're in. What happened? They had to become something to get to their destination. Are you understanding me? You have to become something. So what, have you, what, are, what is in your heart to, to do in life? What is your purpose? What is your purpose? Uh, you may think, well, the first thing to do is find that out. That would be an important item. To find out what you want or what God wants you to become on this planet. And then once you start having an idea of that, you start growing in that area, whether it's listening to podcasts or YouTube or reading books or getting education, whatever that may be. Uh, but God wants us to think of something greater than what we're really thinking of right now. No matter what you feel like, well, I've arrived. I don't think that's a good place to be, to say that you have arrived. God wants us, first of all, Part of this is just being a blessing to other people around us. God wants you blessed so you can be a blessing. I'm going to say it again. You've heard this, but you know what? We need to have a revelation of this inside of our mind. To be blessed so that we can be a blessing. Titus puts it this way in Titus 2.11. It says, for the grace of God that brings Salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. This is what I underline. Zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. God did something so that we could do something. Now, he's not intending on you and me to do something to get his approval. So don't go down that. This is a whole different road I'm taking you today, all right? No, he, Jesus did everything so you are approved. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are accepted in the beloved. Just like Janet said, you're no longer an orphan. You are a son or daughter because of what he did, not because of what you've done or will do. It's all because of Jesus. But knowing that God has done, given you a certain grace or a manifold grace so that you can become something on this earth, whether it's a doctor or whether, whatever field that God has called you to. Are you hearing me? God wants us to think bigger. And God will give you favor in whatever road that you're traveling down. He has given us favor in the workplace. You know, if you ever, 
when I was working FedEx, you know, I got passed over. I was applying for a, a job uh, for the air crash, aircraft, not air crash. That would be bad. I wouldn't want to apply for that job. But anyway, for the aircraft, um, supervisor in charge of a whole aircraft operation in Louisville, Kentucky. And so I applied for it, but I didn't get it right away because the guy who got it was the drinking buddy of the boss. And uh, even though I had uh, uh, more knowledge and seniority and all of that, I didn't get it because of him. But uh, so a lot of times people think it's who you know if you're going to get promoted. But this is what you and I need to believe. If you believe that, listen to me, if you believe that, then that's what you all have to depend upon. But if you believe that Jesus, when he says in Psalms, I believe it's chapter 5, that I'm surrounded with favor as a shield. And the shield back in the day, those days was from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet. You're totally surrounded. And that he is your rear reward. He is, in other words, he protects you from the backside. So there's no way that the enemy can get you on the front, on the side, or the rear because of Jesus. He said, you're surrounded as a shield with the favor of God. What does that mean? Well, you've heard me probably tell this story. Probably, if you've been here, like Dan and Sue, you probably, and Paul and a few others who've been here for 50 million years, you've heard me tell this story 50 million times. But anyway, this is 50 million and one. I just dropped it. I just dropped it because the guy who got the, he was a good friend of mine. He was, I, I love this guy. He would give you the shirt off his back, super nice guy and everything. So I said, he'll do a great job. And I forgot about it. But at that time, the, the regional supervisor of, uh, it was like Chicago or Illinois. He came from Chicago, Illinois, Kentucky. And he, it was over like a three or four. This is when FedEx was a little smaller company. Not what it is today. But uh he came down, and about once a quarter, he would come down and just see how everything was going. And he came down, and lo and behold, he started talking to everybody, getting the feel of everybody, how things are going. And one person after another said, well, Mike was passed over a job that he should have got. And so he came to me, and he says, I go, this is great. Well, what about that job you, I heard you got passed over? I said, yeah, but this... So-and-so, he's a great guy. He, he's a friend of mine. He'll do a great job, you know. So I just kind of just like, I'm not going there. And he said, okay. He says, I'm going to interview you and this other person uh, tomorrow. So I interview him, and then I'm going to interview you, and I'm going to look at all y'all's uh, paperwork and everything you've done. I said, okay, that's fine. And then, you know, I was getting a little bit nervous because I thought, man, this guy's a good friend of mine. What's going on? Why did this happen? And uh, in my interview... He said, well, there's been several people saying, said that you should have gotten this job instead of him because, and I looked at your abilities and your past and what you've accomplished, what you've been trained for and all of that. I'm going to make sure that you get this job. And I went, okay. So I got that job because he was over my manager. And, you know, that didn't put me on best friends list of my, my boss after that. Needless to say, but this is what happened just a few, a few months after that. That guy came back down again, and he told my boss that uh, we're either going to fire you or you can go to Chicago. There's an opening for aircraft 
supervisor there, which that's what I was made. So he got bumped down to the same level that I was. So he was gone. You know, and I'm not saying that, you know, you know God uh, smacked people upside the head, but this is what I am saying. If you understand that you have favor with God and it doesn't matter what man says, you will rise. It may not be tomorrow. Listen to me. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week. It may not even be next year. But if you keep believing God that I'm surrounded with the favor of God and it does not, my promotion comes from him. It does not depend. It does not depend upon a man. Amen. So what do you believe? What do you believe? God gives people favor. You know, it's like having an inside, almost like an inside trader, if you know anything about the stock market. I mean, it's, God will put you in places and positions, and he'll have, uh, Billy says this word too, kairos moments. Kairos, you ever heard of that word? Kairos. If you're from Kentucky, you may think it's the plural for K-roll syrup, but it's not. These young people, they don't even know what K-roll syrup is. How do you know what K-roll syrup is? Whoa, about 10 people. All right. K-roll syrup, that's what instead of honey or instead of uh, pancake syrup, it was this stuff in this that was sweet. And, this, and you poured it. We put it on. My mom would put it on biscuits for us. There's Kairos moments. It's, in other words, it's a God-ordained plan system set up, I mean, that God will just cause two people to come at the right place at the right time so that you can be lifted to a higher place. God has positioned people for that. Did you know? You've heard me say this. If you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you know it had help. That's uh, not that I've ever done that. Just so my kids are here, I've never done that. But anyway... uh, Okay, maybe I have, so I shouldn't lie. But anyway, I didn't leave it there. But uh, you know it had help. It couldn't get there on a four-foot or five-foot post, a turtle can't. It had help. God is wanting us to be connected to people, to meet new people in our future, so they can help us and position us to a place that you and I can never get to on our own. All right. Now, there's some of you all here that are retired, and you're thinking, well, this message has nothing to do with me. Don't just go to sleep on me just yet. All right? Psalms 62, verse 5 and 8. Did I give you this? Oh, I did. All right. Uh, It says, I depend on God alone. I put my hope in him. He alone protects and saves me. He is my defender. I shall never be defeated. My salvation and honor depend on God. He is my strong protector. He is my shelter. Trust in God at all times, my people. Tell him all your troubles, for he is our refuge. I mean, this scripture is saying that God not only will help you and protect you, but he is for you. He does want you to get to your destination. I believe there's so many people who live their whole life and never really accomplish what they've been placed on this planet for. They made to a degree. But God wants to, you know, with what's going on at Asbury, y'all have heard of Asbury Revival. You've heard of it by now. Please just shake your head yes, if even. All right. So there's, of that, it depends on what reports you read or hear, but there's at least 20 other colleges that have been affected. Some even say as much as 120 or 100, over 100 
colleges from people who've left Asbury and gone to other colleges just to take what's going on. I believe at Baylor University, huge college in Texas, uh, some of the Asbury people went down there. And uh, from what I understand, they're having ongoing prayer revival down there. Uh, Pakistan, which is a very anti-God country. Uh, 200, uh, one person held a, a revival over there, and you uh, saw the picture of it. It's just an open field with thousands of people, thousands of people. Over 267 people got saved the first night. And so the, God wants you, us to know that, man, there's things that are happening. There are things that are happening. But I think, listen to me, this is where the people who are retired and you think, you know, there's really nothing for me to do. You have the most important position out of everybody. Are you ready? My mom had a revelation of this. And she did this. When she was up in her late 70s and 80s. She just prayed. I mean she prayed. To the degree that church people would call her. Her phone. When I'd go visit her. Her phone would ring. And you, you, I might, you might as well leave when it does because she's going to be on it for a long time because she's, she, first of all, she was a talker. So I may have gotten a little bit from that from her. But anyway, uh, she was a talker. And man, she prayed. People would call from the church. I, uh, uh, Anna Louise, that was my mom's name was Louise. We called her, I called her mom. But anyway, they, they called her Louise. But uh, they said, I need you to pray. I need you to pray. And she would pray for people. And people would get healed. People's children would get saved. And things would happen. So, but this is the thing. We need to make sure that this is what I would like everybody. It's not just retired people. Don't think, oh, I'm not retired, so I don't have to pray. No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. I, I think it's one of the most exciting things probably within the last... I don't since the charismatic revival back in the 70s, 60s and 70s. But I think it's one of the most powerful things. But this is what we have to make sure that happens. Are you hearing me? That people don't just get excited about God. And then a few weeks or a few months or even a year from now, it just everything, the dust settles. And everybody goes back to their normal life. This is what we need to pray. Back when Luther... That revival, and there was been a couple of other revivals that it didn't just cause an excitement and a hunger for God. It changed the culture of the nation. It even changed the banking system back in the early, I don't know when it was, but it changed how bankers would bank because they got convicted about how they were doing banking at that time. It convicted people who were doing things wrong. And it convicted people of the educational system where they wanted to educate God's way instead of just all of this other stuff is going on. It changed what we call the seven mountains. You've probably heard uh, different teachings on the seven mountains, but I'm going to read them because I usually can forget one or two. But uh, the seven mountains are, are this. The first one is government. The second one is education. The third one is the entertainment industry. The fourth one is the mountain of, for family. The fifth one is business. The sixth one is media. And then the seventh one is church. 
all seven of those mountains, we need to pray that revival causes these seven mountains to have a reformation to where they all change. Including the church one. I said including the church one. We don't just need to have churches. God wants to impact the church. He wants to impact the church to where people... When they come, it's not just they're getting a religious sermon, but they're coming in contact with God. Amen? But God wants that to happen in our government. He wants to help, help have that to happen in our entertainment industry. You know, I read an article. Um, I don't know her. Boule? Is that her last name? The woman, she was on Home, real popular on Hallmark. And they started doing... You know, controversial things on Hallmark. So she left. And she said the reason she left is because she is a strong Christian. And she believes for family values. Do you know there is a huge following for her. And man, instead of her getting pushed down and ridiculed. Man, she got lifted up and has a great following. And she's more successful now than she's ever been. I'm telling you, God wants to do that for people. He will empower you to bring change. To bring change. And this is what, if there's ever been a time in our history since I've been alive, it's not very long. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I'll just let you know. But it, this has been one of the greatest times in history. But listen, we can't let this slip through our fingers when it was just like, oh, you remember back in, you know, 23 when there was a great move of God? Yeah, that was really neat. No, 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 no. It needs not just to be a great move of God that happened in history, but it changed our culture. It changed the lives of people, and it changed the whole atmosphere of this nation. That's what God wants. So that's what we need to pray. That's what we need to believe God for. I'm telling you, God wants to do great things with ordinary people. And this is the thing. You have to confront the thing that's holding you back. It's good to talk to yourself in private. It's good to confront yourself when you are overwhelmed. You know, I don't know about you all, but here lately, I've just been overwhelmed by negative thoughts that come in my mind. And those thoughts, you just start thinking that, and man, you end up on a dark and dreary road in no time at all. If you're thinking wrong, it'll take you to the wrong destination. I said, if you think wrong, it'll take you to your wrong destination. You'll wake up one day, one month later, one year later, and you go, how in the world did I get here? It's because of your wrong thinking a year ago. Anyway, but you need to confront those things. Everything that is not of God, you need to confront. Don't be passive about it, but confront it. That goes for sickness too, by the way. Confront it. You know, you start getting symptoms of something. You know, I'm thankful for medication, but the first thing should not be the medicine cabinet. Let's just make sure we get this clear. Everybody say, I love the pastor. (laughs) Okay, now I can continue. But this is the thing. The first thing you need to do is to confront that symptom in you. You confront it. Luke chapter 10, verse 19 says, Behold, I've given you power. I give unto who? You power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. So who has the authority? 
But most, not most, but a lot of Christians are waiting on God. God, I want you to do, you need to do something about this. He already did something about it 2,000 years ago. He already did something about it. So now it's time for you and me to confront it. Get bulldog determined. And that's not, listen to me, it's not just a one-time thing. You, you may have to confront your negative ideas a hundred times in one day. You may have to confront a, a, a symptom coming on your body a hundred times a day. You may have to look at your checkbook and say, you know what, I'm confronting that. I am not a poor person. I have been born into royalty. You know, I, Lynn back there and some of the die, they, they came from England, and so they know a little bit about how the, you know, all of the hierarchy and the royalty is done over there. I don't know a lot about it, but this is what I do know. Everything is provided for them. I mean, even the white horse and the carriage and the Cinderella type stuff, you know what I mean? Everything's provided for them. They never have to worry about waking up one day and going, well, I hope there's not a food shortage. That's never on their mind. Hope, uh, you know, they get that new wardrobe in for me. No, that's never on their mind. Lack is never on their mind. I'll say it again. Lack is never on their mind. Why? Because they know who they are. We, as believers, have been born into royalty. Lack should never be part of your life. You say, well, man, I, I, I'm struggling right now. You may be, but just because you're struggling, that's not who you are. Are you hearing me? That's not who you are. So you have to renew your mind to those things. But confront those things as well. Confront it. God, what do I need to do to prosper? What do I need to do? You show me what to do because I need to do that. God wants you to be a person who prospers because my God provides all of my need according to his riches and glory. But then he goes on to say, and some people stop right there. That's the beginning point, by the way. That your God provides all of your needs is the beginning point. But he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think is the point that you and I need to have a revelation of. Ephesians 3.20. Can you pull that one up? Let's, pull, let's just read that one. Ephesians 3.20 says this. Now unto him who by in consequence of the action of his power. Whose power? God's power that is at work within us is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly. You know, it would have been nice if you just said abundantly. But he said super. What is super abundantly? That means it's way too much. It's more than you can, I, can handle. Super abundantly, far over and above that we dare ask or think. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. To him be glory in the church. How is he going to get glory? When you and I get a revelation of the previous verse that he's done super abundantly and he wants to make sure that it's known. When the superabundant is manifested in your life to where you're a blessing to those around you, then that brings him glory in the church, Christ Jesus, through all, all generations. It's not even just for you. It's for your kids and your kids' kids and goes on and on to every generation. Wow. There's stories in the Bible that if, if you're not careful, you can just think they're just great Sunday school stories. But God 
wanted to do something greater in people's lives that were just common, ordinary people. Sometimes, you know, they just say, well, who am I? Who am I? God wants you to realize that he wants to do great things for you and through you. I'm going to give you some examples you're familiar with. Men and women who were ordinary but did extraordinary things for God and humanity. It, didn't ju- it, it was a blessing to all humanity. Esther becoming queen. She saved the whole nation of Israel. The whole nation was saved by a woman. If she wouldn't have spoke up. But she did. God, listen to God put her in the right position at the exact right time. And it changed history for Israel. David becoming king. He was just a shepherd boy minding his own business. Some theologian says he was the runt of the family. His brothers were all bigger than him, stronger than him, and everything else. But David was the one who was picked. Solomon becoming the wisest man on earth. Solomon. And they, he, he, they didn't have, uh, you know, Google back then for him to look up everything. He had to get it from God. Noah, who built the ship that saved all humanity, took him over 100 years to build it. I don't know about you, but that's probably a little boring project. What are you doing today? Working on the ship. Five years later, what are you doing today? Working on a ship. Fifty years later, what are you doing today? Working on a ship. Man, is that all you do? Yeah, that's all I do, work on a ship. But he was given the grace of God to do that so humanity would be saved. Joseph, rejected by his family, went from prison to one of the most powerful men on the planet. Rejected by all of his, his brothers. Wanted, they th- talked about killing him. Ow, man. I don't know about you, but that's pretty serious. I mean, you may have some relatives that dislike you, but they're not premeditating, hopefully, stories. About, hey, let's get Joel over here. We can get him. We can get him. No. Moses led a whole nation out of slavery and delivered them from the most powerful nation of the known world at that time. Nobody confronted Egypt. Nobody could confront Egypt. They were so powerful. But God did. And he did it through one man, Moses. Mary, a young teenager, believed God and it became, she became the mother of Jesus. And all of humanity was changed because of that. Because she believed the word of God that was spoken to her. Be unto me according to thy word. Peter. Uneducated man. I like Peter. He, he wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. You know what I mean? I mean, he was just, he always spoke before he thought. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. I really wasn't that funny. I mean, I'm looking at some people too out here that I'm thinking the same thing. But I mean, he just spoke, you know. I mean, when G- when Jesus or God spoke from heaven and everything, and Moses and Elijah, he said, "Let's build three tabernacles." Because I mean, you know, God interrupt. You know, it's pretty bad when people interrupt you. But if God interrupts you, it's obvious that what you're saying is insignificant. God interrupted Peter. But anyway, he was uneducated. He had trouble with all of sorts of issues 
But he did mighty miracles and became one of the greatest uh, preachers and spread of the kingdom of God. God used him. Paul, who was wrapped up in religion, he thought he was doing the work of God and he was actually coming against God. God said, you're coming against me, Paul. You are coming against me. And it was the church that he was coming against. And so God confronted him. But he turned him around. And he became one of the most powerful men. And he wrote three-fourths of the... Inspired by the Holy Ghost. And he wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. Ordinary people. That God want, wanted to use to do extraordinary things. I really believe this in my heart. That God wants to do that today. Through you and me. Ordinary people. To do extraordinary things. For the kingdom of God to grow. So that the people may know that he's still a loving God. That he loves people and he wants to do great things for people. He wants to be a blessing people. He wants people blessed. But God has a plan for each and every one of us. And he wants things to change for the better. I know there's a lot of negative stuff that's going on in our world. But we just need to spend some time with God and get some downloads from him. Whether it's for you impotent. And let me just say this. God always sees everything from a 30,000 viewpoint. Joseph was probably thinking that, man, God had blessed him when he was in prison. He blessed him when he was at Potiphar's house. And then when he elevated him, he didn't realize it, but he was actually going to be the person who saved his own brothers who wanted to kill him. If it wasn't for Joseph, starvation would have rent. That whole part of the world would have starved to death. Seven years of famine. No food coming in for seven years. For, can you, okay, let me just put it in perspective. What if Walmart didn't have food for seven years? I mean, most people would. Okay, how about all of the stores? Everybody's looking at me like, no, I don't shop there. Okay, all grocery stores don't have food on their shelf. Let me just put it. No food on their shelves for seven years. Yeah, most people wouldn't have to worry about diet at that point. Just survival. Just survival. But God always provides. And let me tell you this. As long as the, the Bible says, as long as the earth remains, there'll be seed time and harvest. There's always going to be a harvest. You don't ever have to worry about food. Don't let the media frighten you because there may be a food shortage or whatever. No. There's always going to be food for you and me. I said there's always going to be food for you and me. Amen. So you have to believe that. But God raised up Joseph and he just thought it was just for... Maybe him at that particular time, he had no clue that God was going to give Pharaoh a dream. Joseph was going to interpret it, and it was going to save the known world at that time of starvation. I don't believe he was thinking that way when he was in prison. He probably knew that God had a, a call or a purpose for his life because of the dream that he had. But I guarantee you he didn't have the full 30,000 view that God was going to use him to bless the whole world. Simple guy. So don't say that I'm, 
I've used all the excuses, so I know what some of you may be thinking. I'm really not that smart. I'm really not that educated. I'm fill in the blank. I'm really not that good looking. I'm really not really. I'm, yeah, yeah. You can check all those boxes, but then there's but God. But God. He wants to do something greater than what you think in you. Ephesians 3.20, that he will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think. How do you, how does he bless you something above what you can ask or think? You know, you have not because you ask not. There comes a point when you say, God wants to take you above what you can ask for. That's a supernatural thing. Are you hearing me? He says, I'm going to do something exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. In other words, you don't have the ability to ask for it because you don't know and you don't even have the ability to think about it. You think, God says, I'm going to do something that you can't even ask. Or th-. In other words, your imagination is not even big enough to what I want to take you to. That's exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. According to the power that is in you and me. So let's start tapping into that power. Let's start believing God. Spending time with him. Praying in the Holy Ghost, because that's where you can get things. You know, when you, you know, if you took a little kid and set him on your lap, and somebody says, I'll give that kid $10,000, he's only like, when do kids start talking? Two, is that right? Two? I need some help here. Two? When kids start talking? Okay, two. Some may have started talking. I probably was nine months. But anyway, uh, between me and my mom. But let's say, He's two years old, and he, he just says, Mama, Dada, and no. Of course, they know no at age two. They know no. But let's just say somebody said, I'm going to give you $10,000 if that kid can count to 100. He said, okay. The daddy sits him up on the chair. He says, okay. Say one. One. Say two. Two. Say three. Three. It goes all the way to 100. I'll take that 10000 well, that kid didn't know. No, 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 no. You just said if he can count to 100. It was daddy's help that did that. The two-year-old had no ability to do that. But it did it by the help of the daddy. In Romans, it talks about you do not even know how to pray as you ought. But the Holy Ghost in you can pray through you what you don't even know and how to pray for. So what is the Holy Ghost doing? Mike, say one. <laughs> one. Mike, say two. Two. All the way up to 100. And when the devil sits there and goes, he never even, you gave him something he didn't ask for. Oh, yeah, he did. You just didn't know the heavenly language that he asked for it in. I did it because of the Holy Ghost. That's a powerful tool. I don't know about you, but I don't know how to pray everything. There's nobody on this planet that does. And he said, I've given you a helper. It's called the Holy Ghost. And he will pray for you, through you. And I'll just, this is what I do. I say, God, you know, I'll pray for my kids in English, you know, which takes a large portion of my day. No, I'm just kidding. They're in here. (laughs) That was a good rib, though. But anyway, uh, I pray for my kids in English, and it doesn't take me that long. But uh, And then I say, okay, God, I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost because I don't know their future. I don't know who they're supposed to marry. I don't know what jobs they're supposed to do. I don't know anything about their future. 
but you do. So I'm going to pray for them in the Holy Ghost right now. I pray for you all in the Holy Ghost. God, I don't know all the people that are coming. I don't know them personally. I don't know what's going on. So I'm just going to pray for our church people in the Holy Ghost. And I do that. What is the point? God wants to take you from down here to a level up here like the turtle on the fence post that you can't get to by yourself. But the Holy Ghost says, here you go, step up. And then once you get up there, here you go, okay, here you go, step up. And one day you wake up and you're on a fence post and the view from up there is so different from grass being in your eyeballs. I mean, grass and weeds, that's all you see is a turtle, you know, especially in Kentucky. Out in the woods in Kentucky, man, it's, it grows. You think weeds grow here? <laughs> just imagine if it rained all the time, it seems like in Kentucky, man. Weeds just grow overnight. Oh, you cut the grass. I cut the grass when I was a kid. I hated it. I cut the grass twice a week sometimes in the spring, twice, with an 18-inch lawnmower, and it was like three-quarters of an acre. I want some sympathy here. I don't feel any, but I need some sympathy here, man. This, I'm 10, 11 years old, man, <laughs> and 99% humidity, which you all don't even know. But anyway, it's, it's just, it's just it's real close to hell. But anyway, it was bad. It was real bad. And, you know, you just think that's what a turtle sees, just grass and weeds. And God says, I can take you to a place where you don't even see that. It won't even come into your view. God wants to put you in a position where you're looking at problems right now. You're looking at circumstances right now. You're looking at this trouble and that problem and this trouble and that problem. This person, if this person is in, oh, I wish they'd quit. I wish they'd do this. I wish. And God says, no, 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 just quiet down. Put you on top of that. Now it's not... This person, that person, this problem. This God says, you see things differently now? Moses saw it different than what the children of Israel saw. Christians in church all around the world need to see differently. Amen, amen. So, I'm going to pray for you.